Welcome to Light Treason News, everyone. Pop culture, politics, and a sprinkle of treason. I'm joined today by Eric. Oh, that's me. It's Hello. you. I feel like you are the official quarantine co-host of 2020. Yeah, it helps that I don't have anything to do during the day. So, I just want to you thank know. you on behalf of everyone for never making plans. You're right. Yeah, you're welcome. That's, thank this you. Is I my... genuinely, that's a genuine um, thankful comment on my part because I would yeah. be fucked. <laughs> you know what? This is how I serve humanity is by <laughs> being available. So. Right. Uh, Eric is extremely available all the time. If anybody's wondering, uh, if you, look, if any of you have podcasts, I'll do your podcast too. Let's do you it. You know what? I'll put that Let's out there go. too. I will also do your <laughs> podcast if you need a, a guest because I'm around all the time now. Yep. And literally remember when I used to complain about being so busy all the time, uh-huh. yep. um, all of those things are now gone. So guess who's available? It's a <laughs> me, baby. Do you need a guest host on your pod? Bring me on, honey. Uh, yeah. Charles the other day was like, would you want to come on our podcast? Dirty Little Horror. Great podcast. You should listen to if you're a fan of horror. And he sort of said it in a way that he was like, not sure. And I was just like, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I'm so bored. I'm so bored. Oh, by the way, guys, I have moved. I'm in a new apartment right now, still in Brooklyn, wow, just a different fancy. place. But if you hear a slight echo, it's because I did not realize I would need to buy more furniture to fill this apartment. <laughs> so I am like sitting in a cave. It's not a huge apartment. It's just like I basically brought like a couch, a coffee table and my bed. And that was it. <laughs> I was like, this no- will be fine. Uh, it is not fine. I need to get more furniture. But uh, yeah, so slight echo. That's why I'm, I'm working on it. I There's no sound treatment in that place. <laughs> Absolutely not. It is just <laughs> I hear my own voice echoing and it's going to drive uh-huh. me nuts for the <laughs> remainder of the hour. But hopefully you guys can't hear it. Um, so we took a week off, obviously, because I was moving and my life yeah. was chaos. Uh, anytime though, I take a week off so much news happens that I feel like so overwhelmed. It gets to the point where I'm like, do I just never do the show again? (laughs) Because there's no way I'm going to get caught up. And again, I just have to accept that we're not a breaking news show. Nobody listens to the show waiting for breaking news. So God, I listen to the show for breaking news. Please stop. Please. We're begging you find a different (laughs) news source. I don't know. I'd recommend Democracy Now! maybe. Um, but yeah, it, it's okay if we miss some stuff. But I never want people to think like I don't care or I'm being dismissive if I skip a story. It's just there's so much, guys. There's so much. Um, but before we get to any of that, this is Light Trees and News. Hello. If you're new to the show, the way it works is we open with pop culture recommendations and just general fuckery. We just fuck around in the pop culture section. And then we get into bad news. But don't worry. We end on good news. So we always leave you, hopefully, with like an uplifting uh, feeling. I hope. I hope, guys. If not, I have failed. Um, so in the pop culture section, <laughs> let me just get it out there. As always, I am watching Survivor. I'm still chipping away at the seasons. I'm on season 29 right now, I believe. Wow. I'm getting there. I am getting there. Okay. So um, no update there other than I love it. Even the the bad quote unquote seasons 
because I always check a list like the best and worst of Survivor just to like brace myself before going sure. in, you know? Sure. And even the bad seasons I have enjoyed at some point. So, and I've been surprised a few times when I've seen a season I've really enjoyed on a worst season of Survivor list. I was like, really? I enjoyed that. But I think I'm just having such a different experience binge watching sure. it. I'm sure had I had had to wait week to week, there would have been some seasons where I was like, oh, God. But mm -hmm. I just power through it. And I, I, you know, controversially, I've shared this before on the show. I do skip a lot of challenges. And I know that's very controversial, but I got to get through this. I can't spend the rest of my life watching Survivor. You know what it, it is? It, yeah. You're like the survivor of watching Survivor. Thank you so much for saying that. And if people ask me, like, who I identify with the most mm, on Survivor, like, who I would compare myself as a player watching Survivor to the actual players on Survivor, uh -huh. I would say that I am a Sandra with an Amanda rising. Okay. Yes. And that will I make... Mean perfect sense to anybody who loves survivor i'm gonna compare myself to jeff probst wow wow <laughs> what an arrogant you know, thing to say you How know what because you? i don't care for anyone's shenanigans <laughs> uh well, he I like really keep, doesn't i i really i don't put up with it i like to keep things nice and orderly uh you know i run a clean clean show and uh you know may the best man win I'll tell you what drives Jeff Probst the craziest. Uh -huh. It's in this order. If anybody who is physically capable of continuing Survivor quits Survivor, <laughs> you're like dead to him because he's like a million people wanted your spot and you took right. it and now you're quitting. So that drives mm -hmm. him nuts. Or if yep. you cheat during the challenges, he's not a fan and he gets very, very mad. Exactly. I don't I don't tolerate cheaters. <laughs> Nor should you. Nor should I think yeah. that's a good policy. <laughs> so as always, I am watching Survivor. I'll just put that as a general recommendation in the pop culture section. If you would ever like to talk about Survivor, I am constantly available on Twitter. And but please no spoilers. Even if you think it's not a spoiler for future seasons, please don't spoil Survivor for me. How dare you? How dare you? Oh, I guess I should mention, too, since, you know, um, <laughs> I did just move. We are a 100 percent listener supported show. That's why you never hear any ads on Light Trees and News. So if you love the show, if you love what we're doing, if you want to support me and my co-host, because I pay my co-hosts, go to lighttreason.news, smash that donate button uh, to keep us going. I also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny. Uh, if you are a supporter of mine over there, you get to send questions, comments, concerns, you know, any type of feedback is good feedback. So uh, you can also sign up over there. Um, so, Eric, in yes. the midst of all this craziness uh -huh. and just so much, you know, whether it's uh, police violence, the police state we all live in, um, you know, the pandemic, there's just so mm -hmm. much awfulness. There's I was chaos. moving, which was very stressful and like moving to an apartment where I'm on my own at a time when I already feel isolated and a little yep. crazy, you know? Um, and that's not me being, uh, ableist or anything. Uh, she does have OCD and it has gotten worse in <laughs> all of this, uh, Excellent. craziness. Excellent. Yeah. Yep. 
I was like, am I getting worse? And then I spent two hours cleaning a toilet and I was like, yes, absolutely <laughs> getting worse. Um, so all of that, like mental health stuff, I decided because I am a dumbass to read the road. <laughs> yeah, I saw you posting this on Twitter. Oh, what a terrible, what a terrible choice. What a though. terrible choice. What a stupid woman. You know, <laughs> I like, I got 20 pages in and I was like, oh no. But again, OCD, I have to finish the book. Like I've never not finished a book, even if I sure. hate it, hate it, hate it. I just like, it's sort of like a, a compulsive thing. Yep. I have mm -hmm. to finish. So I did finish. And let me just say, beautiful book. Yes. Beautiful prose. Cormac McCarthy. Um, sir, I don't know if you've ever heard this before because he is still alive and I do believe he listens to this podcast. Excellent. You're quite a talented writer, sir. <laughs> yeah, like, he's don't got a quit. promising future ahead of him. Yeah, for sure. Don't quit. Keep it up. I know it's hard, but do keep it up and one day people will recognize you as a good <laughs> writer. So he uh, yeah i mean it, it's it's gorgeous it's weirdly uplifting in places which i wasn't prepared for yeah. um somewhat optimistic but man it is just a trek through dire circumstances yeah. and i thought i was somewhat braced because randomly i had watched the road the movie on a plane yeah. uh-huh Question mark, question mark. I don't know why I thought that was a good idea, but I had seen the movie, so I was braced for, I guess, spoiler alert, but also I want to give like a trigger warning because I don't want to just recommend it without telling you guys this stuff. But skip ahead to the music cue if you don't want to hear spoilers for The Road, I guess. <laughs> but uh, I was braced for the cannibalism, so yeah. I thought I would be braced for everything. And oh, let me tell you, they took out shit from the book because they thought it would be too dark for the movie. They left in cannibalism, but they partially censored themselves for the other stuff. So just yeah. a heads up there. Yeah. Cormac McCarthy is uh, one of the only writers I can think of. Uh, maybe Stephen King. He's one of the only writers I can think of where it is all, I don't even know of any of the movie adaptations that do his writing justice. Like it's normally it's the opposite. Normally it's because you have so much more to work with on film, like things can be darker or more gruesome, you know, uh, cause you can do so much more with, with visual, but there's something about the way that he writes, like the, the style that he writes in and the way that he writes, that's like, it's way darker written. Yeah, and I, I wonder if it's just because you're using your imagination so much more or he's just yeah. so relentlessly bleak up top. I think that's, I think that's like, part of it, yeah. It really, and he, he, you know, he writes like Faulkner in some ways. Yeah. But he's, yeah. he also writes like Hemingway where it's like it's these short, brutal sentences that right. are just packed you know, like his his word choice is so specific and surgical and it's never flowery, but it destroys right. you. Yeah. I also think that movie and that book were so popular when it came out that it's easy to forget how bleak it is because it was so popular. Well, like you don't also, expect yeah. In case anybody doesn't know, Viggo Mortensen was the lead in the film yeah. adaptation. Everybody loved him. They were like, oh, my God, Aragorn is in a new movie. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And it's just Aragorn. Uh, and then everybody saw it and they were like, holy shit, what is this? <laughs> it's so dark. 
Yeah. Vigo, what are you doing? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I remember not loving the movie for that reason. I was just right. like, oh, God, watching it, you know, and it's <laughs> it, what's so terrible about it is. So in case you don't know, the plot of the road is there is a father and a son tr- just trying to survive in a post-apocalyptic world. There has been some sort of. Uh, species ending event that they never go into but all you know is that there's been like massive fires and all the trees are dead and all the people for the most part are dead and the only people left alive are these roaming tribes of cannibals who are hunting down the people who have lived to eat them right And this father is traveling south with his son, just not really having a plan, just hoping that they run into kind people along the way who will help them. And that's really the central theme of of the book, which is they're the good guys. They carry the fire. And Mm -hmm. the only motivation they have to keep going is is that that they're the good guys and they believe that there are other good people out there. Right. And they go back and forth about whether they're the last good guys or if there are other good guys. And it's like a very scary book because, again, um, murderous bands of cannibals are hunting them the whole time. But what's so scary about the book reading it that I don't think I got from the movie necessarily was the son, who's a little boy. I don't know how old he's supposed to be, like maybe 10. But something like that. Yeah. 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 Like definitely like prepubescent. He is just making decisions that little kids would make that normally wouldn't have grave ramifications. Like if a little kid forgets his toys somewhere, it's not the end of the world. But in this world of the road, if he forgets their gun somewhere, they're going to die. So like this poor kid just keeps being a kid and it's like almost getting them killed the entire book. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's it is very it's one of the I mean, there have been good post-apocalyptic books and stuff before, but it is definitely one of the it's it's one of the most real feelings because usually post-apocalyptic books are are, um, supernatural in a way. A lot of times they have zombies or or whatever. Mm. Um, But this one is like for real, like, oh, yeah, this probably would happen. If in yeah, this I mean, it, it's climate change, right? Like, it's not right. too much of a stretch to think about that this is about climate change. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that Cormac never goes into, like, the scientific explanation of what's happened in this world. That's not interesting right. to me. It's just yeah. it happened. <laughs> Society right. has collapsed. We see little flashes of the before time with his wife. Listen, this is not a book that has good female representation at all. Uh, there is a mom who we like barely know who we only see in, in flashbacks through the man's eyes. So like Mm -hmm. who the hell knows what she was thinking or feeling at any time. It's just sort of inferred by the central protagonist. But having said that, I don't know. I really enjoyed it. It made me cry several times, especially like right now with what we're seeing in our society, that message of the good guys can win. Um, it will be brutal until they win, but they can win. I thought was that that's the message I took from it. I thought the ending of that book was very optimistic. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so the main thing I wanted to talk about you (laughs) with you in the, the pop culture section is in Brooklyn, but I think all over New York City, and and I've heard about you know this happening in other parts of the country as well, in California and down south. 
there have been a lot of fireworks going on. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. And this right. upset people a lot. So well, I, well, go ahead. Before you, before you launch into it, I can tell you for a fact that uh, the, you know, my work, we cover the police scanners of uh, like 15 cities at this point, I think. So Eric um, works for the Citizen app. Yes. Uh, it's happening in every major city. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, obviously this is a time where uh, people are very mistrusting of the police. For some of us, that has gone on longer than others, you know, not trusting mm -hmm. police officers. But I feel like right now we really reach the apex of that feeling. Uh, right. There are these really amazing polls out right now about how much support Black Lives Matter has right now. And, yeah. like, they've never had this level of support before. No. They got more support in the past two months than in the past two years, which is really extraordinary. So it makes sense that there were a lot of conspiracy theories out there about, like, why these fireworks were happening so much all the time. There were theories out there that the police themselves were setting them off or ignoring them uh, and ignoring complaints about them to sort of punish people because they don't feel appreciated or they feel under attack in the wake of mm -hmm. all these protests. Yeah. So there were a ton of theories out there and I love famously love conspiracy theories. Yeah. So I was like, Oh, this is like candy for me. You know, um, let me just say though, there is a serious element to this story, which is, do not call 911 because you're annoyed by fireworks, okay? It's not an emergency. You're not in danger. You might be annoyed. Do not have armed police officers looking for random black youth that they think might have shot off fireworks. What the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. So I just want to say that. Um, so... At first, it seemed like, yeah, maybe this has. And let me just say, too, that I would never rule out the possibility that there are random cops and firefighters who are assholes who are setting off fireworks. I think that's totally feasible, right? Because mm -hmm. ultimately, police officers and firefighters are individuals. And within a group of individuals, you're going to find an asshole who does something like that, right? Sure. Who will go out and arrest somebody else for shooting off fireworks, but who will then very hypocritically go and fire a uh, firework themselves. You know, I, I think that's totally feasible. Sure. However, uh, and then, you know, there were like videos surfacing that seemed to like somewhat support that there were, uh, there was a video of firefighters shooting off fireworks. There was a video of police officers standing outside a precinct watching the fireworks go off in a very passive way that seemed like they didn't give a shit, you know? So there's like supporting evidence of those theories out there. However, I think the much more likely explanation that actually I first saw Dave Hill uh, posted a thread on Twitter because his, I believe his brother-in-law sells fireworks in mm -hmm. Pennsylvania and basically explained, and by the way, please don't tweet Dave Hill about any of this. He got so much like harassment. He had to take down the tweet, which I thought was crazy. It's like, I don't know. It, it was very uncalled for. <laughs> don't harass yeah. Dave Hill. Anyway, so he was posting about how his brother-in-law was saying because of Corona, all of these major events have been canceled all over the country. Right. Yeah. And 
As a result, there is now a surplus of fireworks. And in order to get rid of them, they've slashed prices. So, And then they started making phone calls into the inner city where there's a whole black market for fireworks saying, right. hey, we got fireworks 75% off or whatever. And suddenly all of these young kids you know, a lot of them young men of color who normally couldn't afford these huge fireworks, because we're not talking about bottle rockets, right? We're talking no, about no. massive Macy's Day, July 4th fireworks that normally you wouldn't see unless the city was putting together an event. Suddenly, mm -hmm. a kid down the block can afford those fireworks. Right, so for right. me, that's a very satisfying explanation, because my main thing was I was like, how are all these poor kids dropping thousands of dollars a night on right. fireworks. But the answer is they're not, they're probably dropping like 40, 60 bucks. Yeah. I think that, uh, I think Ryan Devereaux, I, I had a, um, tweet thread talking to somebody that had either sold or purchased fireworks. And that was sort of, cause yeah. I mean, you think like we're a week away from July 4th, how many July 4th events got canceled exactly. because we can't have those, you know, and July 4th is, I mean, July 4th and New Year's are the two biggest fireworks sales. So it's like if you're a fireworks company and you spend three months, I mean, there used to be this big fireworks store in my hometown in Alabama. And it was just like, just like a little like, I mean, it was literally run by like two people. And one of them was a teacher at the high school. And it was like, you know, just like a little mom and pop fireworks store. But they like like in the like three months leading up till July 4th, they were I mean, that place was. I mean, like the fireworks are falling out of the front door. I mean, they were yeah. just stocking it up because people make a run on it, you know, it, it, right before July 4th. So if yeah. you're fireworks, you know, if you're a company and you've been stocking up for months in preparation for the July 4th and all this stuff is getting canceled, all these, you know, concerts, all these things are starting to get canceled, sports events. It's like, well, <laughs> we have all these stock of fireworks that we literally can do nothing with. So we got to get rid of them somehow. Right. And also in that thread that you were talking about, Ryan Devereaux, who you guys should follow, R. Devereaux on Twitter, friend of the show. Um, the man he was talking to was saying, like, I understand, like, why people are annoyed, but I prefer these guys going out and shooting off fireworks and, like, shooting each other with guns. And I think, like, ultimately what we have to remember is a lot of these kids are kids and this is their summer and they're going stir crazy and they want to go outside and essentially play. And, you know, I, I recognize it's not safe for a lot of these inexperienced people to be shooting off dangerous explosives ultimately. And I do worry that somebody will like blow off their fingers or hit somebody with a firework. I do oh, worry about it's that. Already Oh, it's already happened. Yeah, I almost got hit. I, I went for a walk with a friend uh, in my old neighborhood and one landed very close to us. And it it's a bomb going off and it was really scary. So I, I, I have concerns about like their safety, but also the safety of like the neighborhood. However, having said that, these are kids who are playing uh, and I would never, ever want police to feel like they have the support of the community to go after them with like violence and kill somebody over it right yeah they uh i mean i know of at least for sure a couple of cases of people being hit by fireworks um and a couple of fires started by fireworks but right. um i mean the the dangerous part is is setting them off in the middle of a city really is yeah, the most yeah. dangerous part you know um i mean pl i mean playing with fireworks at any point is dangerous but 
you know, people, I mean, kids in the suburbs and in the country do that all the time. It's just when you're enclosed by all these buildings and other people, then it becomes kind of dangerous. Um, and I think there was like an adjustment period too, because they weren't used to having those huge fireworks either. Right. Right. So figuring out how to shoot them off and stuff like it's, it's a brave new world for everybody. But <laughs> what's exciting for me is I now know that my future career is hunting down and murdering uh, fireworks suppliers in Pennsylvania. <laughs> so that's fun right. for me. I added it to my vision board. Nice. Um, really I excited. Will, I will add to um, <clears throat> in my experience um, seeing the, these reports uh, of fireworks the police do not seem to be going after the people shooting fireworks as much because it's difficult because it's like by the time they get there, they've either stopped or like, what do you, I mean, they just they run to a different location. I've fully seen that happen. Like yeah, they they see run. The cops coming, they just run. Yeah. Yeah. Or it's like, if you're a cop and they show up and it's like, uh, there's like some debris. It's like, okay. Okay. Like, that happened. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So there's not a lot they can do about it, but I will say the more, the more problematic thing I think is that a lot, a lot of people are calling 911 saying that they're hearing gunshots. Yes. And that's people really People have got to figure out people. I mean, I understand that they sound similar, but Sometimes. <laughs> yeah, they definitely sound similar, you know, especially when they're right outside your house, but that's the bigger problem, I think, is that a ton of people, I mean, a ton of people are calling 911 saying that there are gunshots. Well, that and also de Blasio made this announcement that now they're like pulling together some kind of task force to go after right. the suppliers. And while I would rather them go after rural Pennsylvania than like poor black teens in the city, I still don't think I, I would never want any kind of like armed conflict over fireworks you know like right, it's right. not that serious even though like listen i think it's gotten better recently but when it was at its peak it was truly from 7 p.m to like 3 a.m pretty somebody constant sh fireworks somebody shot some outside my apartment the other day at like 8 30 a.m it was sir, like it was sir, like no no, like, absolutely happening? not. I know we're all excited and we can suddenly afford we're rich with fireworks, right? <laughs> right yeah. But no, 830 in the morning. <laughs> okay, so before we're out of the pop culture section, yeah. Uh, because I watch nothing but Survivor, uh, mm -hmm. it's been slim pickings for me recently, sure. but I did see The King of Staten Island. Oh, nice. And let me just say, it was pretty okay. Okay, all right. It was okay. Like, I'll take that. Uh, it's a Judd Apatow movie, so it is 40 minutes too long. Uh, I am very frustrated why no one has actually asked him about why his films are so goddamn long. <laughs> like in an interview, just be like, are you opposed to editing? Why <laughs> do you put literally everything into the movie? Because it's too much, Judd. It's too much. I think my pure speculation is that I think he is a comic director who does not want to be a comic director. Really? You think that? I, what do you I think, think he wants to do? Well, I think it is he's I, I think he wants to do funny movies, but I mean I think like there's a big difference between like a funny movie and then like a dramatic movie that has funny times in it. And I think he's trying to straddle that line a lot. Mm. Where it's like he's always putting in like you know, he's always like throwing in heart, you know, like the heartwarming storylines or, or, you know, big philosophical things in the movie instead of just making like pure comedies. And so he's like trying to make comedy movies that also have heart and have like, you know, these, you know, like it's a coming of age story or it's a marriage story or whatever, you know, and it's like, 
he's trying to do too much, I think. And I, and I think he wants to be the more like grown up, you know, uh, you know, sort of like not pure comedy director. Yeah, well, that's very clear in this movie because it has a very serious undercurrent, which right. is Pete Davidson's father in real life was a firefighter who was killed in 9-11, which they tweaked for the purposes of this movie because I don't think they wanted to feel it would be expensive exploitative of that event, you know? Um, so he, in this movie just, he had died in a fire, like a house fire, but it's interesting in this movie because I, I feel about three fourths of the way through, or maybe even half the way through, I got the impression that Judd became much more interested in the Marissa Tomei and Bill Burr characters who are the most interesting characters in the movie and, (laughs) and their relationship. And also Bill Burr's character is really interesting and they don't really go into it where at one point it's like, is this guy a liar? And they never really (laughs) explore it. It's just sort of like, Oh, maybe he's sort of, you know, massage the truth because he was trying to get close to Marissa Tomei, but there's like a bunch that he had not revealed to her. And that was very interesting. I was like, what the fuck? Who is this guy? Um, but their relationship, they're both great. They're both great actors. They have really good chemistry. Bill Burr and Pete Davidson have great chemistry because I, I think they're friends in real life. They're both stand up comics, so they yeah. know each other. Um, but yeah, I wish, I wish, I wish the movie had been about them. Now, having said that, Pete Davidson, I think he does a great job in this movie. I think he's a good actor. Uh, he's very likable, which I wasn't really braced for, uh, particularly because he's playing a very unlikable character who's deeply traumatized because of the death of his father and acting out in really unhealthy ways. Right. Um, but yeah, I thought it's a very watchable movie. It's way too long, but it, it was very okay. I think, yeah, I feel like Judd, uh, I mean, I haven't seen it, but just from like from you describing it and seeing the trailer, I think Judd sort of realized SNL's mistake with Pete, which is like trying to get Pete to act. It's like, just be yourself, but doing yeah, other stuff. But I will say he does act in this movie. There's a really moving scene where he is watching firefighters run into a burning building. And by the way, like the, the support supporting cast is phenomenal. Like Steve Buscemi is doing his thing. He's so good, but there's other, there's an actor from the wire whose name I'm spacing on. Um, he's one of the cops. He's great. Um, but he's what it's Idris Elba. (laughs) Uh, Oh man. If he had been in this movie, uh, but he's watching these firefighters run into this burning building and you, you can tell he's, thinking of his father and he's really like moved in that moment. Pete Davidson is acting in that moment. Like he, he really brought it. I have to give him credit. I believe he can act. I just don't think he's good at like being like, uh, like he can't uh, do sketch. other people. Yeah. Yeah. He can't do sketch. Like he, and also like he live doing it live is way different than doing it on film. Cause film, right. you can always, we just do it again and again and again, you know? Um, right but it's hard to do it in front of a live studio audience and he's not very good at it. I, I like him on weekend update, but I also know that I am in the minority. <laughs> I mean, he's good when he can be himself. Cause he started as he's a young stand-up comedian, you know, and he can do his update segments as himself. And I'm sure in this movie, it's like, he's probably a lot more comfortable emoting and stuff when he can just, he can act like himself, but then just in, you know, unreal like unreal situations i can tell you from having heard judd apatow interviewed on other podcasts he was not comfortable and he tried to pull out of the entire filming last minute 
he sent Judd a list of other actors who he recommended wow. to play the part. And Judd had to call him and talk him down from the ledge where he was like, you can do this. And but Pete really, really didn't think he could do it. Yeah. Um, and then I, I got to say he did it. It's it's a nice. it's an OK film. If there's any fault to it, it's man, Judd needs to hire a good editor. I think <laughs> if he had had a real aggressive editor in there. They could have trimmed okay. that down to an hour and a half, very good film. And instead okay. we have a bloated, how long is it? Over two hour meandering tale that I right. don't think was really in love with the protagonist and was more interested in Marissa Tomei and Bill Burr's characters. Would have loved right. to see a film about them. I think they would have just murdered that. It would have been great. Right. Uh, Eric, what, what are yeah. you up to? What's going on? Uh, not much. Chilling. I feel like you this know? question makes you so nervous every time I ask because you're like, oh, boy. Well, the truth is I've been being a good citizen and staying in my house. Yeah. <laughs> so that's pretty As much it. As have we huh? all. But yeah. that's like the optimal time um, to watch stuff and read stuff. And Well, I haven't been watching a lot of stuff. I've been trying to watch less stuff. Because I feel Ooh. like I'm devoting too much of my life to it, so sure. I. <laughs> I feel As like someone I should... who that's my entire life, yes. Right. I feel correct. like I should be doing other things. So, um, I I just started. Uh, I'm about halfway through uh, a reading a new book called um, Less Than Human by a philosopher named David Livingstone Smith. It's all about the process. Uh, it's all about the phenomenon of dehumanization. He does a good job of tracing the history of the history and theory of dehumanization why we do it and, and why it works and that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. So that's a, it's a good book. He's, he's one of the few people that actually tackles it as a subject. Um, if only that was relevant to 2020 in any way. Right. Um, and, uh, so I've been reading, um, there, I do have an, I have a music recommendation. Um, there is a band called hum H U M hum. And they were a band in the 90s. They had one very big hit in 1995 called Stars. It was a big, big, mm -hmm. like, alt-radio alt hit. Well, they just got back together, and they put out an album that just came out a few days ago called Inlet. And honestly, it's, I mean, it is incredible. It, really? It, okay. It I'm going to check that out. Blew me away. It's so good. Very cool. Yeah. Um, do you think they got back together? Because they were like, well, it's the end of the world, so... <laughs> They're a weird band though, because they 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 had this big hit. Like I said, they had this big hit in like '95, and then they were doing it pretty heavy, and then they just kind of disbanded around 2000. And then like every two to three years, they would just kind of like pop up and play a one-off show, and then they would go back into hiding and not doing anything. So they were kind of like constantly reuniting in a way. Mm, it would just I be like you. every yeah, like every three or four years, like oh, we're gonna play this festival, and then you know there would be nothing again. And then so finally, they officially are like back together playing shows and touring and stuff and, and nice. they just they dropped this record very like very like out of nowhere they like nobody knew it was coming they were just like hey we put this out and then it was just you know listening to it it's everything that's good about the band they really like focused in on on what they do right and they put out i mean it's just incredible it's just a great record hell yeah guys on that note that's enough of our recommendations it's that time of the show let's all hold hands and cry here is your bad news Okay, so I probably could have put this in the good news section because it was so funny. 
And again, shout out to all of the tweens on TikTok and all of the K-pop stands uh, for, uh, what was it? Reserving like a million tickets, <laughs> reserving a bunch of tickets uh, that made President Trump believe that he had sold out his event in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He was holding one of his stupid rallies and they thought it was going to go really well. And uh-oh, it turned out that what was it like 6,200 people showed up 6,200. That's right. And that was it. And there were really pitiful photos of this stadium where this rally was taking place being like only fractionally filled tons of empty seats. I'm sure it was super demoralizing for Trump and that's awesome. So I did consider putting that in the, the good news section because of the K-pop uh, stands and the TikTok users and just how ingenious young people are. But I decided to put it in the bad news section because obviously holding a mass event like this in the midst of a pandemic was super dangerous. And lo and behold, something like eight Trump staffers have now tested positive for the coronavirus, two Secret Service agents, and who knows how many people who attended the event. And then they'll go on to infect people who will go on to affect people. So um, could have caused a, a mini outbreak in its own right. True. That is very true. Holding it inside, insanely stupid. So dumb. Um, uh, it seemed like probably, I mean, I, I don't know much about Tulsa. I got to imagine they have big outdoor venues. It seems like probably was held inside on purpose as like a political statement. Um, yeah, he, he very famously refuses to wear a mask. He makes fun of Biden for wearing the mask. He, uh, yeah, I, I think they know because it happened on their watch, it acknowledging it in any way reflects badly on the administration in their opinion. Yeah. So like Trump, I believe it was during the Tulsa rally was joking that he had asked his officials to slow down testing so yeah. as to decrease the number of confirmed cases in the U.S. And then obviously after that, the White House had to rush to do damage control where they were like, he was obviously kidding. And it was like, ah, yes, the the. <laughs> The famous wit of Donald Trump. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Allison, am I allowed to disagree with you on this podcast? Oh, absolutely. Always. <laughs> uh, I I am skeptical. I will say I, I am skeptical of the effect that the ticket reservation had. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. Go because on. Because I've read a couple reports and I think here's 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 my basic hypothesis here. It did definitely, they definitely did it. And it definitely had an effect where there's, there's definitely a, uh, one element where it's like the numbers were super inflated. So Trump was ex expecting all these people and then they didn't show up. So that is, that is definitely one po you know, positive aspect, but I have my doubts as to how many people would have stayed home thinking that it was sold out. Like how many people would have gone if those tickets hadn't been reserved. My thinking is that those, the people that showed up were going to show up regardless. So I don't, I don't know how much, like, I think it worked in a way of like demoralizing Trump, but I think, I don't know that it actually prevented people from going. Cause I think, I mean, Trump's fans are so rabid that they would have just gone anyway, hoping to stand outside or in the overflow lot or whatever. So that's and, interesting. Cause that's even a more, optimistic take which is just you just think there was so little enthusiasm yes and wow well, and, and so uh, the, my other point to that and i don't think it's playing out 
I my uh, I thought it could have played out, and I think I'm probably wrong on this because it doesn't seem to be playing out. But my my initial thing was I think these people are a lot of the people just did not come because they're either not enthusiastic about Trump or they just don't care. So it probably didn't prevent any people from coming. And then I was thinking that as the story was coming out about all these people reserving tickets that Trump and conservative media could not use that as a w- weapon to rile up the base mm, by saying we're under like, attack. Oh, yeah. They're sabotaging us stuff yeah. instead of just being like, Oh, si- only six, 6,000 people showed up because nobody likes this fucking guy, you know? Yeah. Um, now that doesn't seem to be playing out. Nobody's really playing that card. So I think I'm wrong on that. I think they're just like, they just are like, it was so shitty that they just swept it under the rug and are just not yeah. talking about it. Um, and are trying to focus on like what he said in the speech and playing those clips instead of talking about the attendance. So I think I'm wrong on that, but I, w- the, when the day that it happened, I was very concerned, you know, about that as being used as a tool to then rile up the people who were not interested in the first place and being like, Oh, you know, uh, Korean teens are, are, are interfering in the election. And for sure. You know, that makes sense. Like that. Man, I do love, though, that, you know, K-pop sort of rides in. Like, remember the scene in uh, Lord of the Rings when Gandalf shows up and they all think they're about to die (laughs) and Gandalf is there. But it's Gandalf the White and he's with all the the writers of Rohan. Of course. Uh, Yeah. Whenever K-pop shows up like that, it's sort of very uh, uplifting and always makes me very happy. (laughs) I mean, it did. I mean, it did have that very real effect of of the them thinking the numbers were large and then getting there and the numbers were not large you know that that's a very real effect that happened right i just don't uh, know i just don't know if people actually stayed home because they thought it was sold out that makes sense yeah uh cuz i don't remember if the trump administration really advertised that it was sold out you know yeah i, I can't remember i can't remember and I know they had like a prepared overflow lot, which of course was empty because oh, nobody was so there. Oh, so good, so um, good. Yeah, somebody. And took then a that picture. photo of Trump like walking back to the White House <laughs> afterwards, like yeah. he just got off the the chopper or whatever. Oh, he just looks so dejected. It's great yeah. because that's what he lives for. He the only thing about being president that he likes are the rallies. Right. So if the rallies go badly, he just fully hates his job. Yeah. And that's a great feeling. Um, yeah. I hope that's a trend. I hope that like, you know, I think probably, I mean, I think honestly, I, I don't know if it's like just base fatigue or if just people are not happy with him. Um, Cause it does seem like his base is dying down. I mean, yeah, there was some report out that full confession I didn't read. I just saw the headline about he's losing support with working class white women, yeah. which if he loses them, that's it, baby. That's it. Yeah, I mean, he won by such small margins last time. It only takes a, a percent or two to flip the whole election. And I mean, like, by, I mean, God, Biden is just a terrible candidate. And he is oh, cr- so bad. He's crushing him. I know. It's crazy. That's why I think they've just like kept Biden in like a closet or wherever they keep him when they don't activate him. Um, I, I hope they have him in like one of those like hyperbaric chambers. <laughs> just, like, <laughs> yeah, a compl- they let him out to do like a quick interview and then they put him back in because they're like, just don't fuck it up. You're so far ahead at this point. But also everybody's celebrating polls right now. Guys, it is June. You know, like it is so early. We have such a so much can happen until November. Nobody should feel cocky at all right now. People, people take polls as like uh, like um, election predictions. Yeah. 
long way to read polls. I wish people had more, you know, um, understanding of how these things work. I mean, they're just taking a snapshot of, you know, a thing. That's why it changes from day to day. And it's like, I mean, he might be up by 14, but that does not mean he's got that much of a chance to win. That's just a snapshot of public opinion right now. So don't ever assume the polls are like a, a prediction. Right. Right. It's it's um, mostly just a tool to gauge perception, but it's not like, yeah, these are not election predictions. Right. So then there was this other rally in Arizona. Did you see this mega church falsely claimed they had air filters that killed COVID? No. Which is not a thing, but they wanted people to turn out. So they were like, oh, you'll be safe. And they just straight up lied to people. So fucking great. Like, I never, I mean, you know, it's one of those weird things where it's like, I mean, obviously I've, I've met and, and I uh, have known and have seen anti-vaxxers in the past. You've, you've, you see, you know, people with insane views your whole life. I never thought that like a legit pandemic would be like a political battleground that people would decide to fight over. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense, though, right? Because we fight over every other scientific thing. Like, we fight over climate change. Yeah, we would absolutely fight over a pandemic, too. I can under... Look, I will say this. I... I, For people who are not that up on the issue, I can understand, like, a very uninformed person not understanding climate change. Because it's like, it's not in your face right now, right this Mm -hmm. second. You know, it's like a more of a long term, like, hey, these trends are happening and this part of the world that you've never been to is, is I mean, it's 100 degrees in Serbia, um, you know, uh, but those are types of things where like you have to be up on the issue. You have to read and, and you know, understand kind of what's going on. It's not it's not like a conspiracy that 120,000 people have died. But I do think I do think it has more in common with climate change than you're giving it credit for, because Mm -hmm. I saw an interview with a guy. I think he was in Florida who literally his rationale about why he was out at the beach with his friends not wearing masks was him saying, well, I don't know anybody who got it. Right. Yeah. So until it, he will, he will, by the end of this, he will probably know several people who have gotten it, if not died from it. Uh, and then because he's confronted with the evidence, maybe we'll believe, but I do think it has a lot in, in common with climate change in that way. I see that. Yeah. Um, the craziest people to me are the people who, you know, believe it, but they're just like, yeah, but you can't make me wear a mask. Yeah, who are just like pissed off. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like getting like stir crazy and like hate their families. And (laughs) did you see the did you see the Twitter video? I now this posted it and like I think it was going around from other people, but it was like a collection of people that were speaking at like a town hall in Florida about the about instituting like mandatory masks. No, I mean, just like the most insane people you've ever seen in your entire life. (laughs) I mean, just saying like insane one woman was saying she was going to get people together that a citizens arrest the whole citizens count the the city council um for violating her freedoms um you know uh, and her big thing was you can't she's one of those people that believes the mask is actually killing people i guess because if you like you breathe the germs back in your mouth or something i don't know but you know i'm gonna guess this was a white woman no no really okay Actually, no. Wow. Okay. Very stupid. (laughs) Yes, Um, very stupid. (laughs) Uh, Uh, Yeah, well, 
at least 11 states uh, have had to pause or roll back their reopening plans. No state handled this worse than Texas, which There's just – go ahead. This this should be the warning call to every stupid person in America. If Texas right. is stopping reopening, shit is wrong. Abbott Texas. went from Governor Abbott went from being so cocky to now he's just like I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm taking it down I'm deleting it I'm taking it down <laughs> I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm deleting it. <laughs> yeah like if Texas is doing it shit is fucked up because they don't it's give really a shit bad. about anything their ICU beds I believe uh, this was the case on Friday were at 97 percent capacity like it is catastrophic. That should be a bellwether for everyone where yeah, it's like, absolutely. If, if Texas is doing it, they, they don't care about anything except for freedom. They like, they, they're like, yeah, you can kill you. Like you can do whatever you want. Kill yourself. I don't care. Like, you know, it's just like, you know, if they're doing it, if they're pausing, they were re they were in the process of reopening and they're, they had to call it off and pause it. And it's just like, Yo, if they're doing it, that should be your wake up call. That shit is really, really wrong because they really, really do not want to. No, so far it's Arizona, Arkansas, Delaware, Idaho, Louisiana, Maine, Nevada, New Mexico, and North Carolina who have all paused or rolled back the reopening plans. Uh, Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas got together and did like a joint press conference where they were basically like, uh, we were wrong. We're wrong. Right. And we need to slow this down. Although Texas, it seemed like they reopened bars and restaurants. And that seems like if you reopened, you can stay reopened. They're just going to prevent other places from reopening. So right. That's not going to prevent a, a surge in Texas. No. We're already seeing it. It uh, we are shattering records every day in this country. Um, I am a, a news producer on a show, and I feel like I constantly have to check in with people. Where I'm like, did we already talk about this story? And somebody has to be like, no, that was another record we shattered the day right. before. And I, I'm just like, fuck, like it, if you look at a chart comparing how the EU has handled COVID versus how the U.S. has handled it, they are curbing, you know, it seems like the line is going down for them or at least plateauing and we are skyrocketing. As far as I know, we're the only country that's going up. Brazil? Oh, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Brazil is very bad. Yeah. Um, but we are worse. <laughs> right. Well, Brazil has a horrible fascist uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> dictator. Exactly. So, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's it's just so like, I don't like, I don't know. I mean, this is just me not understanding things. It's just like you would think, uh, you know, I it, like I said, uh, I think there are, people are wrong about climate change, but I can understand why they take the position they do, you know, because they don't get it and they're dumb. But it's like you would think the public health should be the one thing where it's like we got to just do what's right for public health. We got to just do like this is a re like this is there's no outcome here that's that's on either side. It's just it's a it's a public health issue and we got to just do what's in the best interest of the public health. And somehow we can't even get that right. Somehow we fucked that up. Yeah, I I know people have made this point before, but I just am in awe of the people who claim to be quote unquote pro-life who are also like, I don't care if my grandparents die. I want to go to the beach. And it's like, 
Really? Okay. So I guess you don't value life. If you and your dumb friends are refusing to wear masks, if you're willing to go out there knowing you could be asymptomatic and pass it on to somebody who passes it on to somebody who's high risk and could kill them, I never want to hear the words pro-life come out of your mouth again. No, they don't give a shit. They don't no. care. No. Um, uh, so uh, truly, we could spend the whole episode talking about COVID and how the United States is mishandling it. But I also wanted to talk about this wild shit happening with uh, Jeffrey Berman, who uh, was a prosecutor in, in Manhattan. Um, Attorney General William Barr announced late Friday evening that he had nominated a Trump appointee to replace the Manhattan U.S. attorney and initially made it seem like Berman was stepping down until Berman had to put out a statement where he was like, hey, guys, I'm not stepping down. I have not resigned. I have no intention of resigning my position um, and and sort of stood his ground in that way. It was a, it was a very bizarre thing to see. But then, of course, it turns out that Berman uh, was investigating all kinds of crime that uh, Trump and his closest allies were involved in. You know, this administration is like, it's like, what if Richard Nixon had gotten like hit in the head with a hammer? <laughs> <laughs> Which is, guys, and I know we have uh, younger listeners, Nixon was so crazy. <laughs> he would call people in the middle of the night demanding that they nuke countries he was mad at and people would just ignore him. Mm-hmm. Uh, because right. they knew that he was off his rocker and not to like, you know, thankfully there were enough sane people around him where they were like, just ignore him. He goes off like this. But the president right. of the United States in the middle of the night would call the military and be like, kill these people. And they would just have to be like, okay, Dick, go to bed. And even that is somehow more sophisticated than this fucking idiot. Like, this <laughs> asshole. Yeah. Somehow, like, they can't even, like, you're the president and your attorney general, and you can't even, like, not that I advocate this, but it's like, you're the most powerful person in the whole world, and you have a lawyer doing your bidding for you, and you can't even, like, get rid of a, uh, of a Manhattan lawyer. Yeah. Like what? You can't even do that, right? Yeah, it it's so shady. But again, like my threshold for being amazed by what this administration does is now so high that when I heard about this, I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Truly, when that story came out, my thought was just like, what did they think was gonna happen? <laughs> like, yeah, you, when he put out that statement, did they think he was just gonna be like, oh, I guess I'm fired? Uh, yeah. all right. <laughs> oh no, not fired. I guess I'm resigning, and I didn't right. know it. Like I guess I said that and I forgot. Yeah, sorry guys. Maybe they're trying to like yeah, maybe they're trying to like gaslight him and they're like, they No, were. no, you called us last night, dude. Like, yeah, you were like, I don't know, like you were just like talking about how you couldn't take it anymore and how you were resigning and Yeah, they, I think that I think the calculation was he will be too embarrassed to say, No, I'm not resigning, I'm being fired and he was like, I'm not fucking embarrassed. You guys are criminals. <laughs> Which good on him. Nobody should fucking walk away quietly when they pull yeah. shit like that. Fucking insane. Um, of course, a lot of people were like, can they do this? Question mark. Um, I am not a legal scholar. I don't know. But like anybody who's sort of like, well, legally they can't do this. I'm like, they can do whatever the fuck they want. They will yeah. just have to explain themselves in front of a judge later. But they right. can do whatever they want. Yeah, I mean, that's like, that's like the golden rule of the law, right? It's like, yeah, yeah I mean, <laughs> like, 
it's, it's only illegal. It's the sort of like the only the sort of the old saying of like it's only illegal if you get caught. You know, it's like if they don't want to enforce it. Like you can do whatever you want. And if you're the president and the attorney general, like who's going to come after you? You know, it's like, what do you, what are they going to do? Yeah. And I think that's their attitude. They're like governance strategy. What are you going to do? You know, right. like they're, they're a less sophisticated mob. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's like, yeah, I mean, truly like what, I mean, you're going to take, I mean, even if you, even if you find somebody that's willing to stand up for it, I mean, it's like, okay, you think, I'm sorry, but do you think like the courts are going to side with you against the president? <laughs> like, right. I mean, like what, I mean, you know, I think it's just, I think other, you know what it is? It's just that other presidents have had a, a, a small, small bit of shame. <laughs> I'm just yeah, like, not much, but just enough. Yeah. Just to enough, have that just veneer of respectability. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just enough to not be like, what, what if we just tweeted that he was fired? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, just, um, just enough to try to like finagle the legal system in a backdoor way that other, that people don't see in public, but Trump doesn't give a shit. Public just does whatever he wants. Cause he knows like nobody's going to care. Right. So before we get to the good news section, um, there's been so many, uh, results that have come out of the Black Lives Matter movement in recent months. I mean, including uh, now Minneapolis strongly considering uh, disbanding their police <laughs> or defunding right. them. Right. Uh, it obviously has to like go to a vote and everything, but the fact that they're even considering it is really extraordinary. Um, statues, Confederate statues being taken down, uh, NASCAR getting rid of the Confederate flag. Um, we're going to get to this in the good news section, but uh, white voice actors uh, stepping down from doing the voices of, of uh, black characters, like a lot of social ramifications have come from these protests. Uh, I think not once and for all, because I know people will keep bringing up this tired uh, cliche myth, but people who say that protest doesn't affect anything, I think Black Lives Matter has proven over and over and over again that is not the case. Mm -hmm. uh, protests can have impact in our society, which is should make us all feel like really good. You know, it, it matters when you get out there and you protest. It does have an effect. But, I think. Oh, good. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I think the important part is what was so different about these is a sustained level of pressure. Because yeah. my biggest thing in the past has been like, there have been protest marches in the past where it's like, you know, you organize a march, you get a permit, they have the march the one day, and then the next day everybody goes home and it's like, okay, you had your march, you made your voice heard, but it, those rarely change things, you know? Um, but the sustained level of engagement, I think, gets results. Yeah, it's been really interesting, and I, I would love to read an article about this because I it, maybe it's been written and I just haven't seen it. If anybody has seen it and can send it to me, that would be great, but... When I covered Occupy Wall Street, um, the thing that I think Black Lives Matter in this moment and Occupy Wall Street in 2011 had was um, people were not participating in our capitalist system in a traditional way. So right. in 2011, nobody could find jobs. So yeah. suddenly you had a bunch of unemployed people who were very pissed at this system that was crushing them. And they suddenly had unlimited time because they could not get jobs 
and they were being crushed by things like student debt to go down to uh, Zakati and occupy that space. Likewise, we have this pandemic right now where people lost their jobs, suddenly have unlimited time to go to protest, as you said, in a really sustained, supportive way. And once we are no longer at the mercy of capitalism, we suddenly have all of this time and energy to devote to dismantling capitalism, but also like valuing human life, combating the police state. Suddenly when people aren't exhausted and drained and being worked to death, lo and behold, we can make our world a better place. Yeah. Um, I said on this show a long time ago that, oh, oh, well, this has basically been my point for a long time, which is that I think if you're a capitalist, the best thing you can do is advocate for a robust welfare state. Because the thing is, is like the way the capitalist system is set up, you've got all these people at the bottom. And when one thing goes wrong and they're yep. cut off from, you know, uh, the system, it's not like a, it, it's not like a, you know, uh, an inconvenience i mean it's it's they got nothing left to lose and the most if you're somebody that's invested in the system the 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 absolute last thing you want is somebody who's not invested in the system (laughs) you know because that you need it to you need that investment so if you know if you're a capitalist if you if you're a capitalist and you want the capitalist system to work the only way it works is a robust welfare state that does prevent people from you know entrapping them in, in this in this brutal system of of overwork and you know perpetual poverty and things like that it's the only way it works and what's interesting is like that even doing that say we had a strong welfare state is still just offering crumbs, right? But it would be enough to stop a social revolution and they still won't fucking support it. They right. will not support it because they believe Absolutely. they will get blood from a stone. And it's like, <laughs> if you continue on this path, which all signs point to yes, right? Mm-hmm. We will dismantle you. And it will happen one way or another, but like they're so greedy, they're so unwilling to compromise the one percent that they would rather the whole thing go down in flames. Yeah, and I also think the the several weeks of BLM protests have just been, I mean, it's an absolute masterclass in the idea that direct action works. It because works. It fucking works. Yeah. It it works, and I think people don't understand it. I think. Totally. But in my mind, the reason direct action works similar to your point is just that it, it, you know, like I was saying, I, I'm not a fan. It's just a personal thing. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to shit on anybody, but I'm not, I'm not a fan of the permitted planned March, Sure. you know, as a protest tactic. If It's an awareness raising tactic for sure, but it doesn't tend to actually make change because it, you're not disrupting anything. The police already knew about it. They blocked off the roads. Nobody was inconvenienced for more than, you know, if you were a driver, you knew about it because the roads were blocked off. The reason that direct action works is because it takes people out of the normal everyday life. And so when you have people on highways, when you have unplanned marches that are taking over whole city blocks and whole city streets, 
it does it kind of knocks everybody out of the stupor of 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 living in the system. Yeah, and, I'll push back that on that a little bit just because yeah. I I also have that attitude where I think direct action is is really important and I'm not a fan of permitted marches. However, I went to the really big um, Trans Lives Matter protest in Brooklyn where everybody wore white and then we went on a silent march. And normally I would say something like that. Oh, I don't know if it's really going to impact change. Um, we're being very peaceful. We're, we're not being overly disruptive. What was unique about that was how many people turned out. It got a ton of press coverage. It hands down was the largest trans lives matter protest I have ever been to. Um, it was a really, really beautiful collection of, of people from all walks of life standing in solidarity with trans people. I think that was hugely important. I think it was hugely important for trans people to see that happen. Oh, I think they're important. I just don't, I think it's two different tactics. I think there's, yeah. aware, there's, there's like solidarity and awareness raising. And then there's like the really disruptive, like something's got to change tomorrow. But what is I'm saying is I, I do think it was disruptive. I think it was disruptive because it was, it was platforming a cause that normally is secondary in importance in protests. Like right. whenever you would go to like say like a black lives matter protest or an occupy wall street protest, there would be like also a sign there that was like trans lives matter too. But it was always kind of like handled in a secondary way where it was like, Oh, right. and also trans people matter. This oh, was sure. prioritizing them and oh, particularly yeah. prioritizing black trans people and like, uh, B I P O C, um, right trans people. And I think that was disruptive in its own right, because we never traditionally see that happen. Yeah. Oh, I absolutely agree with that. I just think my, uh, I'm, I'm making too specific of a point. I think my bigger point is like, uh, after that March, like legislation didn't change the next day, the same way that like the city council of Minneapolis, like basically voted to defund the police within a right, week of, right. of their, it, so it wasn't that sort of earth shattering, like, you know, like city officials shaking in their boots and, and going, Oh God, Oh God, Oh God. <laughs> right. Right. I'm so, rewriting it. I'm rewriting it. <laughs> right. So it's like, <laughs> um, so there's like the, there's like the awareness building solidarity building, um, you know, a visibility type of actions, which are so important because they do spread awareness of the issue and they, and they do, uh, prioritize issues that are not previously prioritized and they make them visible. And then people who are not pr maybe it involved in the movement beforehand get involved. And then there's like the other types of, of direct action where it's like, you know, the people that are really putting, you know, it's like th something's got to change this week or we're going to keep doing this forever. So, yes. you know, I, I um, there needs to be some kind of pressure and there needs to be con meaningful consequences or officials don't, move fast like that. Right. Um, exactly. So I wanted to talk about before we get into good news, Trump enacting this act called the statue and monument act, um, or, or saying that he's going to enact it that comes with a 10 year jail sentence for trying to deface statues. Um, so obviously I've, I've gone on this spiel before on the show, Property damage is not violence. It's absolutely absurd to take away 10 years of somebody's life for defacing a statue. That could just mean like spray painting it. That's insane. And also I'll, just keeping with the theme of fascism. 
outside, I swear to God, I grew up in the South. I have never seen people give as much of a shit about statues in my entire life. But Eric, it's their heritage. I never, you know, I, uh, some of those statues truly are like 50 years old and they're like my heritage. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's, bitch, it doesn't go back a thousand years. That is a big thing. I do. I will say I have one critique, one very small critique of people pulling down statues. It, I think the message is more clear uh, just because I think if you're targeting, like if you're pulling down Confederate statues, founding fathers who were slave owners, that kind of stuff, that's all great. It seems like at some points people are going like they tore down like and like a, a straight up like legit abolitionist statue the other day. Or yeah, something. because they didn't know that. Uh, yeah, that right. um, abolitionists had paid for it. Yeah. And it was actually like. Yes, it seems outdated now, but at the time it was hugely significant that freed black people had gotten money together to put it up. Yeah. Well, there was that one. And there's a guy in Wisconsin who uh, in Madison, who he was one of he was I, I don't know his name off the top of my head, but he was like a legit like straight up abolitionist that lived in Madison. And he had like oh, a statue sure. on the state capitol. And I don't actually give that much of a shit about the statues so much as that those types of things tend to muddle the messaging in the media. So yes. th then it goes from it, it goes from people are tearing down Confederate statues to wild mobs are tearing down every statue in the city limits, you know. And I think if you can be more targeted with that stuff, it's it sends more of the message. If you if you tore down every Confederate statue in the entire United States, that would be very powerful. Um, so I just hope people are being more targeted with that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, just I think just because it helps to sort of show like we're doing this for a reason because these confederate statues are shitty they should have never been built in the first place most of them were built in the last hundred years or during jim crow just as a fuck you to black yeah. people yeah you know that's what they are they're a fuck you anybody who's trying to claim like their history it's like again i've said this on the show but when have you ever learned history from looking at a statue you know right. like we'll still have all these names in our history books. We'll learn all about the racists who founded this country. You know, like that's never going to go away. Right. We, we just don't have to build monuments celebrating fucking racists. You know, also, we need to have statues of the abolitionists. We need to have statues of Harriet Tubman. We need to have statues of people who did good things for our country. Right. And also like the people that are like, Oh, you need to keep up the statues. So we remember like, what you know, the, the enemies or whatever the statue, none of those statues say like, I, this guy fucking sucked and he was yeah. an evil monster. They're all, they're all hagiographies. They're all, you know, uh, noblizing these people. So I don't want to hear shit about like how we need to preserve our history. So we remember the bad times or whatever. Cause that's Plus, not what they do. If you're such a history fan, why doesn't it piss you off that like nobody learns about the fucking Tulsa massacre in our history books? Right. Like if history's so fucking important to you, go after these fucking white textbook owners who are censoring our history by erasing people of color from our history. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's just it's just a blatant like people want to celebrate Confederate generals. I mean, that's just I mean, that's what they want, you know. Um and you know, it's just, I, I don't know. All these points have been made before, but it's just like such the strangest phenomenon. Like I said, I grew up in the South. Like I was around these people my whole life. And it's like, you know, you're like, I don't understand how anybody reconciles. Like I'm a proud patriot and I support the Confederacy. Like yeah. what? Like they, uh, yeah. legit, <laughs> they were specifically anti-American. So Are you what accusing the fuck you these about? people of not being deep thinkers? Because I won't have it on this show. I won't have it. 
Guys, that's enough of the bad. It's time to end the show with your good news. So in good news, uh, speaking of consequences of these ongoing protests, the three men suspected of killing Ahmad Arbery have been indicted on murder charges. Just a little recap, Arbery was the black man who was shot to death as he was jogging in South Georgia. There was really horrible footage of it online. Um, George McMichael, his son, Travis McMichael, and their neighbor, William Bryan, were indicted by Glynn County's grand jury on malice and felony murder charges. So obviously good news there. There's also been consequences uh, with the police murder of Breonna Taylor. Um, I believe Officer Hankinson is his name. He was uh, fired, right, but not charged with anything. So obviously that's not good enough. Uh, He needs to be charged with murder as well. And also the other police officers who were with him. The more details I hear about the Breonna Taylor story, the more I'm just like, you should all be in jail. <laughs> like it's truly insane. It's insane. It's truly... Like blindly firing into an apartment building. There was a curtain in front of their screen door. He didn't know who he was shooting at. You are a fucking criminal and should be in jail. I mean, I, it's just, you know, again, this is something that's like, I understand, I guess I understand why, but also like it boggles my mind. It's like, I don't understand how no knock warrants are allowed. It just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Did you and, hear, though, the update to how it's even falling apart more, their, the police story, where no. originally the story was that they got information from a postal inspector that the address, uh, basically that a drug dealer was receiving mail at this residence and... Right. Uh, Brianna Taylor's name was on everything. So it was like, this is her address. She's, she's the owner of this property or like the main name on whatever the lease. So, but now the postal inspector is like, I never told them that information or, or what they told them had been misconstrued, but even that is falling apart. So it's like these assholes rolled up to an address. They had no business being at and blindly fired into their home. Well, yeah, I mean, it is it's just the most insane, like confluence of different policies where it's like, okay, so you can go to a house and you are allowed to kick in the door with no warning. And then you have qualified immunity and you have the legal right to protect yourself. So if you kick in a door and somebody so much as gets up off the couch, you're allowed to shoot them. Even though I mean, they have no idea who's coming in the house. And what was wild was that, so they, Brianna and her boyfriend were in bed watching a movie. The cops are pounding on the door. Brianna starts yelling, who is it? Over and over and over again. Cause she's like, I don't know if somebody's about to break into my home. They don't answer. According to her boyfriend, they don't say who they are. The cops yeah. are claiming, I'll say lying, that they identified themselves uh, but he said they just kept asking over and over and over again, who is it? And they wouldn't answer them. So he got his gun, which was legally registered. Right. And 
didn't fire until, uh, or I think he fired cause he was afraid. He like, didn't know what was happening. And then they just opened fire on them. I mean, even if like, even if they, I mean, yeah, even if they had identified themselves, like who gives a shit? I have no way of knowing who the police are. Right. Right. I've, I mean, people I like I was with a friend of mine and he pranked one of our friends by banging on the door and yelling. It was the police. Oh, my God. You know, and, you know, it's like, OK, like you yelled police. I don't fucking know what that means. I don't know if that's real or and especially if just somebody- like trying to like empathize with Brianna. It's like there are like how many men outside shouting and like you're a woman right. and you're fucking scared and it's the middle of the night. Like, I'm not fucking opening my door. Are you kidding yeah, of course not. Absolutely not. No, I mean, that's just so fucking everything about this whole case is just like, I don't know. I The more of these cases that happen, I was just like, I don't understand how more people like obviously lots of people are upset. I don't understand how more people aren't upset. I just, I just like, really think like if you are capable of empathizing even a little bit, I don't understand how what happened to Brianna Taylor doesn't make your blood boil. Cause it's like, she was minding her own fucking business. She was a yeah. first responder. She was like doing good things for her community and they just murdered her in her own home. And like, why that doesn't make you mad is like, man, you got to go, go somewhere and sit for a while with your thoughts. Cause like, I don't know why that doesn't upset you. Um, and it should be extra upsetting too. Like every time one of these fucking hillbillies, like the, the Bundy people or whatever, you know, like, take up arms and like get in a standoff with the, with the federal agents and nothing happens to them. It's crazy. What the fuck? And then, you know, and then cops just show up at random people's house. And I mean, you know, and it's just like, like I said, it's just this weird confluence of, you know, awful, awful policy stacked on top where it's like, literally the cops can go to the wrong house and just kick in your door. And if you so much as like move towards them, they can kill you. I know I like we didn't even have time to get into the Elijah McClain stuff, but like, I really it's hard for me to like talk about some of these stories and like it, you don't want to like rank them by how sad a story is, because I think that gets very complicated. Like I've seen a lot of people express that Elijah McClain hit them in a very deep way that maybe they didn't feel for George Floyd. And that makes me sort of be like, right. Why didn't you feel that for George Floyd? (laughs) You know, like that seems kind of not great. We should feel this way anytime an an innocent person is killed by the police. Um, But yeah, the Elijah McClain story is just, I think he was such a, uh, it's just really sad. Like the details about him playing music for animals and stuff was just like, man, you guys are, you're just a bunch of fucking armed bullies. Yeah. And also like uh, too, people have got to stop calling 911 because they think somebody looks suspicious. You have to stop. And if you know a white person who does that shit, you have to shame them until they never do it again. Cause it's fucking crazy that they can call the cops on somebody and the cops can kill that person and nobody gets punished. Right. It's unbelievable how much that happens. Like I, I you know, I'm not going to sit here Obviously, I believe in defunding, abolishing the police. I'm not going to sit here and tell people, don't call the police if, you know, somebody's breaking into your home and threatening your life. Your life is in jeopardy, yeah. But just because you see somebody walking down the street does not make them, nothing's happening to you. I promise. I promise until, you know, if, if, if your life is in danger, if you're being harmed, that's a different story. Please stop calling 911 because you think somebody is suspicious. 
But I that think this so- gets to, I think this gets to the heart of the matter, which is white people in this country. And I never want to separate, separate myself when I say white people, because, yeah. you know, it's important we hold ourselves accountable too. And Absolutely. I am not yeah. above the actions of other white people, but white people in general in this country are so afraid of black people that sometimes in Elijah McClain is just walking down the street, listening to music, he's dancing, he's moving his arms to a white person. That's a threat. And it's not enough for us to be like, well, just don't be fearful because racism is so baked into our country. White people see that as a threat. Do you know what I mean? Right. And I think it's going to take consequences of, you know, I, I never want to be a, um, a prosecutorial uh, uh, progressive, but there have to be consequences of like an Amy Cooper calling 911 on a dude who is bird watching in Central Park because she just sees a black man and is instantly afraid. There have right. to be consequences. Like you could have gotten him killed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, also in good news. For the second time in a week, the Supreme Court defied expectations by ruling against the Trump administration in one of the most important cases of the year. And this time they preserved DACA, which is the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program. Um, And again, just a little recap, DACA protects people who were children when they were brought to the United States um, in violation of U.S. immigration laws. But you know, a civilized society was sort of like, yeah, but they were children, so they're not Mm -hmm. criminals. Mm -hmm. And uh, Trump, uh, or not Trump, sorry, Obama supported DACA. But um, yeah, this was actually a a very good thing the Supreme Court did. It was very good. I will say it's extra good, I think, because Trump is a very stupid person. Yes. Um, Because as far as I understand it, the ruling leaves open the possibility of repealing DACA. Yes. It's just, they're basically just like, you just didn't do it in the right way. And of course, Trump just takes that as, a, as a, an affront to him. Yeah, he and tweeted, so, I, I don't think the Supreme Court likes me very much. <laughs> yeah. So I'm thinking like, it's very possible he just drops it because he's like, oh, the Supreme Court hates me, blah, blah, blah. As, as opposed to just like, you know. They basically just told them, like, you just have to do it in the right way. You have to do it. I know. I I do hope they'll get distracted and just move on to other stuff. But it is it's wild. Like a lot of these, you know, the Supreme Court shoots down or like this federal court shoots down the Trump administration. As you said, Eric, a lot of it is just they are so fucking inept. They fucked up the case. Yeah. And if they had actually been good at their jobs, this stuff would be going through left and right. But thank God they're so inept. They're just shooting themselves in the foot. Yeah, I I think I yeah I I wish yeah I I wish I was specified a little more a lot in in a lot of like reporting on these issues because I think a lot yeah. of people see the outcome and they're like hey DACA's legal forever now it's like actually or no that, or they think that the Supreme Court is suddenly progressive which is like right. no no it's still very conservative yeah no no they you know they uh yeah exactly like it's a good thing no don't get me wrong it is a good thing and i and like i said i have hopes that they'll just drop it like trump will just get distracted and won't even try to redo it um because he's just that stupid and is focused on other things especially with the election coming up but um but i think it would be uh a bad idea to take this as a sign that daca is strong and is uh above 
uh, repeal because that's absolutely not true. And I think I hope people don't stop fighting for it yeah. uh, in that way. No, that's a good point. Uh, but speaking of the election, there were just a bunch of primaries all over the country, and there were some real big progressive victories. Uh, AOC had a blowout election. Um, really just smashed everybody, uh, which is great because I, I was talking with a friend who was concerned about her because she's been such a target of the right. Um, and I don't know, it, it was early with the polls, but I, w- I was still pretty confident. I'm like, nah, I think AOC is going to smash it. And then she did. Um, Jamal Bowman uh, won over House Foreign Affairs Chair Elliot Engel, big Trump guy. That was a huge, huge victory. Um, Charles Booker, I think, is still pretty much neck and neck with Amy McGrath in Kentucky, but that was a huge surprise because Charles Booker, uh, who's a black man, was seen as somewhat radical, mostly because he supported Black Lives Matter in a very outspoken way. Um, so that was a it, just huge that it's even that close, you know. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, a lot of a lot of good outcomes. Very encouraging. Yeah, it was a good night. It was a good. It was a very good night. <laughs> I would like to see Booker absolutely take out Mitch McConnell. <laughs> oh, can you imagine? So yeah, obviously that That's that so would good. be the next step. Whoever wins that election. Uh, whether it's it's McGrath or Booker goes head to head with McConnell. Uh, if Charles Booker takes down Mitch McConnell, that will be that would be crazy. huge. Yeah, that huge. would be earth shattering. Earth shattering. Yeah. And without exaggeration, that would be right. epic. So keep an eye on Kentucky. But yeah, it, it seems like we are now living. We've lived for the past four years in the backlash against Obama, right? Now it seems like we're entering the backlash to Trump, at least if this, if these elections are any indication. Yeah, it kind of seems that way. Um, and all it takes is just a little bit of, like like I said, Trump won by such small margins in 2016. He really just flipped a couple of places to get electoral votes. Um, so it, it takes just a little bit of, like, I think having the wave of support, not that I think, you know, look, if you're a, 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 a radical and you and you support BLM and all these movements, I don't think you owe your vote to the Democrats by any means. And but all it takes is a little extra support from a couple people and then waning support on Trump. And just like all of this gets washed away. I mean, it, it could be like a huge trouncing in November. Right. If we uh, have an election. If we have an election. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I also wanted to talk about Another effect of all of these Black Lives Matter protests, a bunch of white actors have announced plans to quit voicing black animated characters, including Kristen Bell and Jenny Slate. I think um, the guy who does Cleveland's voice for the Cleveland show uh, just tweeted that he's stepping down. The Simpsons announced that uh, white actors will no longer play uh black animated characters for the most part i think on their show as well hank azaria was obviously the biggest target of uh activists who were like hey you're doing a very offensive voice for a person of color on this show seems like the simpsons is finally going to deal with that so i think these are all good things uh to anybody who's like yeah, but nobody says this when black actors voice white animated characters. 
if you can't see that difference on your own as a grown adult, why it's offensive that a white person doing an offensive accent would play uh, a person of color who's an animated character. Uh, it seems pretty obvious to me why it's it's a problem when a white person does it, but it's okay if a, a black person is voicing a white character. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It seems very obvious. I will say I don't have a critique so much as a, as a worry. Um, and I, and I say that only because I saw some black activists tweeting about this, which is that there is always in these types of movements, a rush to make a lot of symbolic changes Yes. as opposed to big structural, real changes. And that, I'm not saying this isn't real. This is affects people. And I, and, and I, to I think me, it's a good change. Yeah. I think that's valid to me. This feels like a cultural shift though. Right. Uh, yeah. And I do think that's hugely significant, especially because the Simpsons has really fought against this and ignored it for decades. Right. Because uh, this is not new. It's even before no. Hari started, like, really going after them on Twitter. Uh, people were making that criticism of the Simpsons yeah. for a long time. They were just able to ignore it, and they're not able to ignore it anymore. And I think that's hugely significant, that the culture oh. is so immersed in this now and talking about it that even the Simpsons, which is a huge institution, was like, okay, we're, we're going to, you know, we're going to bend to your demands. Yeah, I think it's a big change. It's a huge cultural moment, and I think it'll have lasting impact. I just hope that, you know, I think that's a rush always to, like, especially, you know, brands in a capitalist system. Yes, like, to make cosmetic changes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we uh, we got rid of this, uh, uh, you know, mascot, or we changed this name, or we made this change, and it's like, cool. We don't have to do anything else. We're done. You know, we made the change, and it's like these symbolic gestures help, and they're big cultural significant things, but that can't be the end of it. You know, I agree. That yeah, that can't be the be all all of it. Yeah, of course. I agree with that. Yeah. Another big cultural change. Disney announced that it plans to renovate Splash Mountain. <laughs> Again, it's sort of like, holy fucking shit. Why is Splash Mountain still a thing? I I haven't not been to uh, Disney World in, in so long, but I remember the last time I was there. I was old enough that when I was on the Splash Mountain uh, ride and they start singing Zippity-Doo-Dah, I was like, oh, no. This oh, should... do they? Yeah, I've never been. I, I've been to Disney, but I've never been on the ride. I didn't know that there was actually anything uh, problematic about it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Song of the South, uh, mm, hugely, okay. hugely racist uh, film. Disney so racist that Disney never took it out of the vault again. They never re-released it because they were like, again, we're sorry, we're sorry, we're deleting it. Yeah. Um, but that will never get old for me, by the way, saying that. <laughs> so and good. just picturing like people panicking and being like, ah, fuck, it's so racist. Uh, but yeah, there, there's a whole storyline basically where there's, I think the rabbit character, I forget, but the, uh, literally a character's like, but I don't want to be free. And it's like, oh my God, it's <laughs> Wait, really, so, really so, bad. So, so is Splash Mountain based on that film? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it has the, the most famous song, that. which I think won, right. uh, an Oscar, uh, zippity doo yeah. Uh, they sing it when you're going past them and it's. Listen, it's real offensive. So I think they're re remaking it to feature the princess and the frog, which is a great mm -hmm. idea. Yeah. Um, Disney's first black princess. So I I would love to see that. And I do think, yeah, the fact that Disney feels like even they have to do something. 
yeah, is significant. And, and it's, it's significant, and it's also like these are such easy changes to make. You know, it's like, is the ride going to be different because it's the frog and the prince? No, it's fine. You know, it's still the same ride. And it's like when people freak out about these changes, like, oh, they're taking Aunt Jemima off the packaging or whatever. It's like, who gives it? Like, you know, is that why you bought it? You know, is that why like you were into it? No, that's why it never feels like we're actually fighting about the thing that we're claiming to be fighting about. Right. Like we're not actually fighting about Splash Mountain. We're not actually fighting about Apu on The Simpsons. What we're fighting about is we fundamentally disagree about our vision of the future, which is you're pissed off because the world's changing around you and you feel like everybody's mad at you and you are pissed off because you're struggling and you don't recognize that you have huge privilege that's actually what we're fighting about we're not fighting about the simpsons we're not fighting about splash mountain there are deeper things we're fighting about and these are maybe symbolic but they're also important because of of what they reveal underneath you know Right. And there's just a lot of people. I mean, it's in the name. I mean, it's conservative and they just don't want the world to change at all. Even if, you know, it's like, especially if it threatens their power, you know, their standing. Right. Right. Yeah. They just they can't accept any change, even if like sometimes you'll even hear them be like, oh, yeah, I can see how that's, you know, racist or bad. But like it's it's you know, it's just always been that way. It's like, who gives a shit? Who fucking cares? Like, none. like, like I said, I the cultural changes are important, but it's like, you know, if Splash Mountain didn't exist, would the world be that different? Probably not. You know, it's it's a thing. It's a ride and it's a product in a store or it's a television show. These are cultural things that are important to people and they should be treated with respect but it's it, it's not like oh we have to preserve it we have to we can't change anything it has to be preserved you know it's like it changes with society and the changes need to be made right well on that note guys i'm sure we're over time because i haven't spoken to another human being in a week and i couldn't yep. shut the fuck up but please follow eric on twitter e-r-e-k underscore smith um you want to promote your pod sure i have a podcast called based on a true story it's a podcast where i interview bass players um i started posting regular episodes again last week so uh you can find it at anchor.fm slash based b-a-s-s-e-d pod p-o-d um twitter uh at based pod um i got some cool interviews coming up it's gonna be it's gonna be a good couple weeks Nice. Check it out. Go subscribe. Leave it a nice review. Uh, we're also on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Light Treason News or Light Treason Pod. If you want to talk about anything that we talked about on the show today, hashtag Light Treason Pod on Twitter. As always, your support is critical during these times. Uh, and I know everybody's given their money to good causes, and I fully support that. But if you happen to have a few bucks left over, lighttreason.news or patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny. Guys, thanks so much for listening. And while you're at it, stay inside and cause a little trouble. 